May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning. And I want to welcome our North Campus today as we continue with our message series, Vows. And if for some reason you didn't get to see, be here for last week as we kicked off this series, I would encourage you, go to the Parkway Fellowship Facebook page and watch it because after you watch last week's message, it'll help you get more out of this week's message. Now, for those of you that follow me on Facebook and Twitter, you know that last week, Amy, my wife, ruptured her Achilles tendon. I mean, that thing snapped right in half. And so she had surgery to reattach it, and so now she's in a cast, and she can't walk or drive for six weeks. Now think about that. She can't walk or drive for six weeks. Uh, Yeah, I, I mean... The poor thing, I feel so bad for her because, I mean, she's in a lot of pain and she can't do all the, even the simplest things. I mean, she can't get in and out of a car. She needs my help to get her in and out of a car, to take a bath, you know? No, I don't really mind helping her with that so much. <laughs> but she needs help doing pretty much everything. And, and like I said, I feel really bad for her because, you know, that means that um, all the things that she used to do, she, she just simply can't do anymore. And so I am now helping. I'm doing all the cleaning. I'm doing the dishes, and I'm unloading the dishwasher, and I'm doing all the laundry, and I'm getting the kids to school, and, um, and I'm doing all that kind of stuff. In fact, I'm, this is when I'm really, really thankful that I'm in a small group, because if my small group wasn't bringing us meals, then I would also be doing all of the grocery shopping and all of the cooking. And my kids are incredibly thankful because they hate it when I cook because what, typically what I do is I just pull out the oldest thing in the fridge and we have that. And they just totally hate it. Um, so anyway, so I'm super thankful for my small group for that. You know, and I was thinking about all the adjustments that we've had to make in this last week. You know, and in light of this series, I've thought, what if something happened to Amy and she was permanently disabled. What if this was our new normal? What if this was our new life? How would that affect our marriage? Because you see, when we say our vows, when we you know, say you know, for better or for worse, we never really think about worse, do we? Because we say our vows literally at the very best time in life. I mean, we're madly in love. We're about to go on a honeymoon, and people are giving us presents. I mean, really? We pretty much vow whatever it takes on that day, wouldn't we? But we never think about, you know, worse. We only think about better. We never think about poorer because we think that from that day forward, we'll only get richer. We never think about dealing with sickness because when we get married, we're usually in really good health. So we say our vows, but, you know, we don't really think about the downside, do we? Because we think everything's just going to be better, that they're never going to get worse. I mean, well, look, I mean, we know that things happen, but the truth is we think they happen to other people. We don't really think that they're really ever going to happen to us. 
But the very fact that we actually have to say vows in a wedding ceremony is an indicator that every marriage, that every couple at some point in time is going to go through some very challenging and some very difficult times. That we will go through times that are better, but we'll also go through some times that are worse. And worse could be anything. I mean, it could be an unexpected job loss, the accumulation of large amounts of debt, an illness, cancer. A child could become critically ill. It's a serious car accident. A family member has to come and live with you. Someone passes away, or there's an addiction, or that sweet little girl has now become a defiant teenager. Regardless of what it is, there's going to be times when we're going to face real stress and real pressure that honestly, we just hadn't anticipated. And that kind of thing, it can drive couples apart because maybe we don't handle stress the same way. Or, you know, perhaps we're just trying to survive and we just don't have anything left to give to the marriage. Or maybe we secretly blame the other person. And that brings resentment and distance in our marriage. But look, our Heavenly Father knows all this. And He knows that He can use these times in our marriages to bring us closer to Him and to bring us closer to each other. He desires to use these times for our benefit, to make us even stronger. But in order to do that, we're going to have to follow his directives pretty closely. And if we do, then God will prevent the evil one from causing that distance in our marriage. He will prevent us from growing farther apart. Now, if you're single or if you're a student here today, if you will follow God's directives that we're going to talk about this morning, then I promise you, it will save you from so much difficulty and so much hurt in your marriage in the future. And in addition to that, it will help you get so much more out of your marriage and you will enjoy your marriage so much more if you'll follow God's plan. So go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. And let's start by asking the question, what does God want me to do when times are worse? What's he want me to do when times are worse? Well, the first thing is this. Don't assign blame. Don't assign blame. Now look, I'm going to be honest with you. There, there are no verses in the Bible that deal just with married couples that are going through a hard time. Okay. But there are plenty of verses that talk about how do we get through a hard time, whether we're married or not, okay? So let me set up this first set of verses so that they'll make sense. They're about a guy named Joseph, and when Joseph was a young man, his brothers were jealous of him because he was his father's favorite son. And so they sold him into slavery and told their dad that he was killed by a wild animal. Okay? Now, fast forward 20 years, Joseph is 
now second in command in all of Egypt. And there is a famine that is spread across the whole Fertile Crescent. And Egypt is the only country that has any food because they're the only ones that planned ahead. So Joseph's brothers come to Egypt in order to buy grain because they're starving. But his brothers don't recognize Joseph. And so in what would make like great reality TV, Joseph goes for the big reveal, okay? Look at what he says in Genesis chapter 45. Joseph told them to come closer to him. And when they did, he said, yes, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Don't worry or blame yourselves. I want you to underline that. Don't worry or blame yourselves for what you did. God is the one who sent me ahead of you to save lives. Now look, Joseph had had a very hard life. He'd spent most of it as a slave. And he'd spent several years in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. It was only in the last few years that he'd risen to any power uh, of authority or any position of authority. And how easy would it have been for him to blame his brothers for what he'd been through? How easy would it have been for him to just rage at his brothers and to vent the fullness of his anger for all those years spent as a slave, all those years wasting away in prison, all those years deprived of his mom and dad when he was just a boy. If anyone has ever been through times that are for worse, I mean, it's for Joseph, it's Joseph. And if anyone has reason to lay blame, it's him. but he doesn't do that. Instead, he goes out of his way to tell his brothers not to be upset, not to blame themselves, because he sees that God has used hardship for his purposes. Look, in your marriage, when you're going through a hard time, you know, you want to find someone else or something to blame, right? Because it makes you feel better. Because, I mean, it couldn't possibly be any of your fault, right? No way. And so it makes you feel better to blame someone else. You know, and if you want to, you can blame your spouse for the problems in your marriage. But what good would that do? What positive thing is possibly going to come from it? What purpose will it serve? I know it might make you feel better for a few moments, but in the long run, it's going to cause resentment to build in your own heart, and then it'll cause anger and guilt and resentment to build in your spouse's heart as well. And then there'll be distance in your marriage. And now, you're not able to face that problem in your marriage with your spouse. You're facing it alone, and you've compounded the problem because now you're also facing additional stress in your marriage. So, do what Joseph did. Don't blame. 
There is no value in it. Look, you need your spouse to face whatever trial or difficulty you're facing. I mean, the very last thing you want to do is drive them away. And look, even if they are to blame, they probably already know. And if they don't, then pointing it out will serve no purpose other than to drive you apart. So don't do that. Don't assign blame because it only drives a wedge between you and your spouse. Okay. So what are you to do? Well, that's number two. Second thing that we are supposed to do is number two, I need to seek wisdom and be open to change. I need to seek wisdom and be open to change. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. It says, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, underline that, abundance of counselors, there is victory. Now look, the Bible's not talking about counselors like, you know, where you go make an appointment, okay? That's not what it's talking about, okay? This is saying that when you're going through a hard time, and that's whether you're single or whether you're married or whether you're a student, you know, no matter what stage you are in life. It says, get advice from wise, godly people. And get this, more than one. More than one. Because the key is in the abundance of counselors, not just in the advice of, you know, one person, okay? So get the input of multiple God-loving, praying people that you know hear from God. Look, and those people, they might be in your small group. It might be people that you've been in small group with in the past. They might just be people that you know and respect. But here's the deal. You need to get wise input from multiple people with whatever's going on in your marriage. Now, look, I'm not saying that you have to do everything that everyone says, but listen, you need to listen to the godly collective advice. That's why the Bible says to have an abundance of counselors, and because when you do, the wise advice will rise to the top and everything else will just fall to the floor. Look at this next verse. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the Bible says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. See, here's the other thing. you got to be open to hearing some advice. You ever talk to someone, and they've asked you your advice on something, and then you realize they're not really listening to what you have to say because they've already made up their mind what they're going to do right? And they don't really care what you have to say, unless, of course, you're agreeing with them about what they've already decided, right? I mean, that's not what it's talking about here. Don't be that kind of a person. Be open. Hear what wise people have to say, because realize that God might be using them to lead you down a course that you never would have thought of or never would have chosen all on your own. See, that's why it's important to get advice from people who seek God. 
from people that know God, from other Christ followers that you admire. Because look, the reason that you admire them is because God has gotten them to a place in life that you want to go. And they can help you get there if you will be open to their advice. Right? Okay. When times are worse, there's a third thing that we need to do. Third thing the Bible says is this. Number three, cling to one another. You've got to cling to one another. Now, this next set of verses in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is talking here. He says this. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, and I want you to underline the rest of this, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now, in this passage, Jesus is referring back to Genesis, back to Adam and Eve in the garden, okay? Now, you want to talk about a married couple that has been through times that are for worse, okay? You want to talk about a married couple that went from better to worse? I mean, I don't think there's a better example than Adam and Eve, right? I mean, they literally went from paradise to the desert, okay? They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden by God himself. I mean, I don't know what kind of difficulty you've been through as a couple, but it would be hard to imagine that it's ever worse than that, right? Now, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden at the end of chapter 3 in Genesis. Do you know what the first verse of chapter 4 says that they did? It says that they had a baby. So they took this cling to each other, like literally, okay? Now, hold on, I'm not saying that if you're facing a stressful time, that the solution is that you need to go have another baby, okay? I'm not sure that that would relieve stress, okay? But you do need to cling to one another. And honestly, that goes way beyond just the physical. You see, the natural response when you're going through a stressful time is to shut down. It's to withdraw. It's to isolate. But you can't do that. You can't withdraw from one another. You have to cling to one another. That's what the Bible says. And look at that part that I had you underline. Look at that. It says, let no one split apart what God has joined together. See, that includes you. You can't split apart what God has joined together. You can't be the one that drives the two of you apart because of your silence. Because you have a hard time talking about it. Because you don't want to face it. Or because it's just easier to live in denial. You can't do that. Because when you do, you are splitting apart what God has joined together. So you have to do the opposite. 
You have to cling to one another. You gotta talk about it. You have to discuss it. You have to think through it together. You have to just tell each other how upsetting it all is. Yell together, cry together, get mad together, pray together, but whatever you do, do it together. Don't not talk about it. Don't be the one that separates the two of you. Cling to one another. Okay, well let's turn the corner. Let's talk about what God wants to do when times are better. Okay, we've talked about what's, what to do when times are worse, but what about when times are better? What's the, what, what should we do? Well, here's the first thing. Number one is this. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment. You see, you know, some people have, in life, they have a hard time enjoying the good times in life because, well, you know, truthfully, they're just always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And when the Lord's, so they, therefore, when the Lord's blessed their life, they just can't enjoy it. But I want you to look what the Bible says about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Look what, how it describes what she did right after Jesus was born in that manger in Bethlehem. Luke 2.19, but Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and often thought about them. Hmm. See, Mary said to herself, you know, I just want to enjoy this moment. I want to take it all in. I want to remember every part of it. I want to remember everything from the angels to the shepherds to the wise men to the fact that there was no room in the inn and we're here in this stable. I don't want to miss any of it. And so she treasured up all of those memories in her heart. And don't you just bet that those are the memories that carried her through the hard times in life? You know, because the Bible says that she thought about them often. Let me see. Do you do that? Do you enjoy the moment when the times are good? Or are you always waiting for the next shoe to drop? Look, thank God for your blessings. And enjoy them. Remember them. Treasure them. Think of them often. Okay? Practically, what could you do? Well, first thing you do, take a lot of pictures when things are going good. And put them up all over the house. Man, load up one of those digital frames. So that whenever you see those things, you can recall the good times. And you can relive and re-enjoy those moments. Another thing you can do is you can utilize a Joshua box. Now, I don't have time to go into the full explanation of what a Joshua box is. But in a nutshell, it's a box where you put a memento that reminds you of something that God did or a way that God blessed you and your family. And so then when you go back and you pull that out, you can recall, oh yeah, that's what God did. I remember that now. And you can enjoy those moments in life. Okay, now there's a second thing to do when times are going good. 
when we're in the for better, and that is number two, plan ahead. Plan ahead. Now, remember earlier in the message this morning, we talked about Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers? Well, the reason that he rose to power in Egypt is because God showed him that there were going to be seven years of famine. No, I'm sorry, there are going to be seven years of good bounty followed by seven years of famine. And so Joseph goes to Pharaoh and he tells him this and then he gives Pharaoh his plan. Okay, look what the Bible says. And let the king also appoint officers over the land who should take one-fifth of all the food that is grown during the seven good years. They should gather all the food that is produced during the good years that are coming, and under the king's authority, they should store the grain in the cities and guard it. That food should be saved to use during the seven years of hunger that will come on the land of Egypt. Then the people in Egypt will not die during the seven years of hunger. So during the good times, Joseph planned ahead. I ask you, do you do that? Do you plan, against, plan ahead during the good times to hedge against the bad? Plan ahead by having a savings account. Fully fund your retirement account every year. Make sure that you exercise. Finish your education. Advance your education. Read more. Go to a marriage conference or retreat, okay? Don't wait till your marriage is in trouble before you go to a marriage conference. Look, I promise you, those things are a lot more fun when you're not fighting than when you are, okay? I've done it both ways. Just trust me, all right? Look, everyone is going to face... Everyone is going to face times in their marriage that are for better and times that are for worse. But if you'll follow God's directives that we've talked about during those times, then you'll get through the bad times faster and you'll stay in the good times longer. And the whole time, you will be able to see God's hand and his design through it all. Make sure you come back next week, because next week we're going to talk about how to prevent an affair. And I promise you, it is 100% foolproof. And if there has ever been an affair, then we'll talk about how to deal with that as well. But I want everyone right now, go ahead and pull out your connection card. Let's take some next steps. So everybody, right now, pull out this card, and let's look at the next steps that are on the back. Maybe for you, it's this first next step. I commit not to blame my spouse for challenges we will face together during our married lives. Holy cow, can you imagine the fights and arguments and resentment that would save? Would you commit to that? Next, I will find several mature Christ followers that I can ask advice from when I need it. And I'll be open to what they have to say. Wow. Next, I commit to cling to my spouse and not isolate when facing difficulty. I'm telling you, if the two of you would cling to one another during those times, instead of pushing each other away, it changes everything. Next, 
I will enjoy the good times God gives me. Would you just make the choice to become a glass is half full type of person? Next, I commit to do some practical things to start planning ahead. We talked about multiple things you could do, but would you start putting some of those into practice so you could plan ahead to hedge against those times? Maybe this is the last one. I will pray the prayer to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. Look, here's the thing. We've talked this morning about lots of things that if you're not a Christ follower, they just amount to good advice. But here's the deal. Even if you try to put them into practice in your marriage, you won't be able to enjoy the full blessing and favor of those things unless you have God in your life guiding you and guarding your heart. And the way you do that is you invite him to come into your life by asking him to forgive you for everything you've ever done and then pledge to follow him from this day forward. Have you ever done that? If you've never prayed a prayer asking Jesus Christ to forgive you and then pledging your life to following him, there's a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes. I'm going to give you a chance to pray that prayer right now. In fact, I'm going to give everybody a chance right now to pray and do business with God. So whatever next step you've taken, I want you to take these next few moments and pray and ask God to help you. Follow through with them, change your life, change your marriage, and if you're ready to pray that prayer, this is your chance to do it. So right now, I want everybody in the room, bow your head, and I want you to take these next moments and do business with God. Father, I want to say thank you for just how practical your word is. And I also want to say thank you, God, that you use these things to change lives. You'll use these things to change marriages, to alter how we relate and love one another. And I ask that you would help each of us to put these things into practice, starting now. And that you would bring us all back next week to hear more of what you have to say about how we can keep, maintain, fulfill, and enjoy our vows. And ask you to do all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.